This episode was recorded in 2023. Hello and welcome to Returnity. I'm Letty Gordon-Furs, founder of The Springback Guide. Every week, we'll be diving into the pressing need for better support on women's back-to-work journeys after maternity leave. You'll hear real-life stories from working mums where motherhood has transformed their careers and get an inside look at the industry leaders at the forefront of innovating in this space. Ready? Let's go. Welcome, Shakira Akabusi. It's so nice to have you with me today. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, you're so welcome. So what I ask all my guests is, where are you in the world right now? And what can you see in front of you? So I am at home. (laughs) I'm just suddenly thinking like, am I going to tell the truth? I want to say like, well, I'm in my office with my laptop and which is true, but also I look to the left and I just see all my washing on the spare bed. Just like mountains. So I am at my desk with my laptop, but also I see my washing. But if you don't have a junk room when you have kids, like what's wrong with you? Like, (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so tell me about your family unit. Let's get on to that. Who is in it? So it's me and my husband, Tom. We have been together for a ridiculously long time. In fact, I actually have forgotten now. We have been together, I want to say like 21 years, I think we're at now. What? And we've been married for like, <laughs> I also don't know, we forget our anniversary every year. I was married in 2011. So what is that? 11 years. There's the two of us and then we have four children. So Rio, my eldest, who is eight, Ezra, who is five, and then we've got the twins who are three and also my dog, Hugo. Rio, Ezra, and I have to know the twins' names now because these are like yes. the best names ever. <laughs> their names are Ariana and Asha. And um, oh we did not goodness. name them an A and an A because they're twins. That just happened because I liked <laughs> those names. So tell me, what did you do pre-babies? Because I think everybody knows what you do now. Or hopefully, if you don't, by the way, look, look her up because this is really fun. <laughs> <But> <laughs> what did you do pre-babies? So I actually trained in musical theatre and I did a couple of shows. I did Hairspray, High School Musical. Oh, and then God. I ended up having a vocal operation. I had, well, and now looking back, I look at it differently. So at the time, I was diagnosed with having a cyst in my vocal cord, or the most likely thing. I basically just like couldn't... a nod- nodule? Is that what it's called? No, or is exactly. It different? So very different. Okay. So a nodule is like a cyst that sits on the outside of your vocal cord, and they can slice it off like using a laser type technology. But then you can have what I had, which is a cyst in my vocal cord, like could have gone anywhere in my body and it went into my vocal cord. So they had to slice open the vocal cord to remove it, which basically meant that when the vocal cords healed, they healed with some scar tissue. And it meant I didn't have the higher register that I had at times because your vocal cords, they vibrate together, which is how you Mm. make the sounds. And it just couldn't vibrate at a high enough frequency. So my voice was, which is why I have this really husky voice now. It just changed everything for me. I now wonder whether it was actually all anxiety and stress driven. I had really high anxiety at that time. Mm. And... I more wonder whether it was that inner stress can have such a huge impact on our body. Mm. But regardless, the result after the operation was that I I just couldn't sing as well as I used to be able to. So I left musical theatre. That's when I then decided to retrain. I had a couple of years where I felt pretty lost with what I wanted to do in terms of career. And then I remember saying to my mum, having a conversation with her, and she is a personal trainer, but she specialises in injury rehabilitation. And I remember saying to her, like, 
does this actually work? Can I actually change someone's life with exercise? Or is this kind of people like, oh, yeah, you've got to hurt back. I'll yeah. just do this. And and she was like, it actually works. So I was like, okay. So then I trained and studied more about, you know, the human body and eventually specialized in pre and postnatal health exercise, the pelvic floor. And then it's kind of expanded into women's health in general, but more just how our physical body and our mind are so connected and how we can really feel empowered and should all be feeling empowered physically and mentally because really we're animals and we can be really powerful in our mind and our body and how we can all access that for ourselves. Oh, wow. That's just so much to <laughs> pull out from what you've just said. I've been like furiously scribbling notes. So firstly, this cyst, I mean, take me back to that time. How did you find out you had it? I know that musical theatre training is so, so intense. You work such long hours. Performances are at the most antisocial hours in the world. Yeah. Like, how did you find out? Were you just singing and then you were like, I just can't hit that note? Because yeah. often it takes a long time thinking something's wrong to actually getting it looked at. Yeah, well, this is why I wonder now whether it was stress. Because the part that I had had to belt some really high notes and I was always absolutely fine like throughout the audition absolutely nailed it no problem and throughout the first few months of the contract no problem and then I just got really stressed different things in my relationship with Tom in like you said the antisocial work hours the lifestyle that I had to live in order to live that musical theatre what was he doing at the time so he works in advertising he was just starting that but but it was more like our relationship was not ideal when we were younger Mm. when we were teenagers and I was just really stressed and I didn't I never grew up wanting to do musicals I wanted to sing and I kind of fell into the industry and I didn't have a love for musicals and I wanted to be doing either pop music or I don't know other stuff with my voice as opposed to musicals and I didn't respect the industry for what it was which it is an incredible industry but so I just had a lot of stress in my life that just distracted me from my job and I began to just not be able to hit the notes and it was really embarrassing because I would go on stage and not be able to hit these notes and then eventually they were like right you have to go and get this sorted I would go and a few different times where there was a camera put down my throat and photos taken of the vocal cords and then they kind of assessed what they thought was going on and and then I had the operation I did two operations actually Mm -hmm. and I just never could get my voice back I think at that point the cutting into your vocal cords it just suddenly my range wasn't what it was and I know that those operations can be so risky by the way for anyone who's wondering why is Letty talking so much about the voice my mum is a vocal coach so this is like dead on (laughs) everything that we're talking about but to go back to what you were saying about the anxiety thing this really 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 resonates for so many reasons but mainly because of the type of clients that I see and what I do which is this whole concept of fraternity and I think Quite often for people, the changes you go through as a mum, that you can feel like you're living slightly inauthentically. But I think for a lot of people, it's motherhood that really points that out to them when actually they perhaps were feeling like this before. And I know myself, the first job I ever did was a corporate job, which I had great people that I worked with, but you know, it was never going to be what I did for the rest of my life. And I found the doing something that my, my heart just wasn't in. I was looking back on it a while ago and I spent such a lot of time at the doctors, like a lot of time at the doctors. And since I started doing my own thing, which is about nearly five years ago now, I almost never go. I I can't really remember the last time I went. And it's because I'm just a gajillion times happier. So that just really stuck out to me because I just thought sometimes I think if you're putting a ton of effort into something that isn't your thing, I feel like your body just kind of knows it like yeah I totally agree you're on the same page right I totally agree and I see it like 
so often with people that I meet who are really stressed at work or something, the amount of people I know that don't love what they do and have really high levels of stress and often it can display, like you're saying, in physical symptoms, aches, pains, or feeling really unwell, feeling sick, feeling tired. And if there's something really powerful, I think about going with where your instincts want to go, doing the thing that instinctively you feel like you need to be doing. And and if we don't do what we're instinctively doing, it can really be difficult for our bodies. Like my husband, I I said he works in advertising. He loves his job, but he loves sports. And if he could have been a sportsman (laughs) and he, you know, he got injured when he was younger, his knee never fully recovered to do the sports that he wanted. But like when he's playing sports or when he's able to fit sports into his schedule, he's a different person than when he's not able to fit that in and there's just this real thing I think about just allowing our instincts to lead us can potentially be really powerful I completely agree so you got to that stage then where you'd had the operation and if you're not working during that time what were you doing and when was the point where you were like oh my god I actually can't go back to this and that must have been devastating there were a couple of years where I would say they were humbling years because I went from training, I was one of the few people to go straight into work. And I had, you know, I landed job after job in musical theatre and had a really successful start to my career. And then all of a sudden, I found myself in a position where I couldn't audition for other jobs and I wasn't in work myself. And I ended up working because you need a flexible job when you're doing that because you need to go to your auditions in the day. Mm-hmm. So I ended up working front of house at a theatre show and I was actually working front of house at Mamma Mia which is where you know you're the person with the programs or selling the ice creams or at the bar so I was doing that at the theatre and every day I would have to sit and watch the show and there were people friends who I knew doing the show and I had to sit and watch it and go outside and hand out the programs so it wasn't like you know I always gave myself this excuse of oh you know I'm having the operation so this is just a period in time but it still was that really humbling experience of watching people doing what I trained my whole life to do and not being able to do it myself. But I always knew that my heart wasn't in musicals. I wanted Mm. to sing. I loved music, but it wasn't in musicals. And then secondary to loving to sing, I loved being creative. And that was, that's kind of what I loved the most about social media is that I'm able to still be creative and creating content takes longer than anyone can imagine. It is so full on, but I enjoy it. So it's, you know, makes it worth it. I think it's that creativity piece again with what we were saying before. If that's who you are as a person, you need something that gives you that freedom to do it. And I think a lot of how our kind of work system is set up, there are very few jobs that give you that kind of freedom to be creative. Because like even in a musical theatre context, like, yes, okay, it is creative, but at the end of the day, you, you've still got to sing the notes and be the character yeah. and do it in the way that the director wants you to do it, right? Yeah. But there must yeah. have then been that realisation of like, okay, well, I'm not going back to musical theatre, but I'm also not going back to singing. Yeah. So what was going on for you at that time? Yeah, it was hard. I remember having a dream we lived in a world where all humans had a horse, but they went everywhere. We all traveled by horse. I know. But this horse like would represent our souls. I know it sounds ridiculous, but it was actually oh my kind, God, of this very is Lord kind of Northern Lights vibe. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Exactly. We're going like down a that demon. Route. Yeah, yeah, Exactly yeah. like that. Exactly like that. But it was like our souls and we all had these horses. And then basically a world where, you know, people would travel the whole time and then you'd get to one of these like stables, I suppose, where humans would rest and their horses would go and rest. Anyway, I had this horse traveled everywhere with me. And then we got back to the stable and said, oh, 
you okay? And the horse said to me, because this horse could talk. Of course. He said, I know, okay. And his name was Alex. Weird, don't know where that name comes from. Anyway, I know. It's my husband's name. I'll let him know. (laughs) And now we meet. Uh, And anyway, he said to me, oh, no, no, I'm fine. Anyway, he went into like the horse stable bit, laid down. I went and had food, came back to see him and he died in my arms. (gasps) And I was like hysterically crying. And I woke up like hysterically crying and for three days I was absolutely devastated you know in my actual waking life oh my devastated God. I don't know what that's in my such brain a powerful dream that's yeah crazy. And I don't know what associated that with my voice but I felt like that was me letting go of like okay do you know what that part of my life is over not to go on about dreams but I had another dream about having a baby blonde haired boy with curly hair and he was my baby and he was like a toddler. And I woke up and I was like, I really want to have a baby. I want to focus on the family thing. So then, you know, we decided to move out of London. I think one of the first things I knew I needed to do was reduce my stress. Throughout this year of musical theatre, I, I married my husband and we moved out of London. And I just really needed to like slow my thoughts. By that point, I had developed extreme anxiety and OCD. And when I say extreme, it was extreme like I could not walk down the street without stopping counting tapping something close my eyes turn around three times walk for you know all of that kind of stuff it had complete control of my life so for a few years then my OCD really controlled everything and the first step to that was like I need to move out of London it was it was just such a fast-paced life and I felt like the rate of thoughts and the demand of stuff to do was so much in my brain that I just had to slow it down so we moved out of London I retrained in personal training I said to you I had that conversation with my mum I retrained in sort of learning more about the physical body and then I ended up having children and then that led to me starting the the work that I do today in pre and postnatal health. Whoa and the anxiety thing I mean and the moving out of London again it is such a common theme that I see with people but was it just the kind of the environment or was it the reminders of what you were not doing or what was it about London that was really setting off that anxiety for I was in London because that's where the auditions were and that's where the work was and I didn't need it anymore. And then I just went through a time where I really was like, there has got to be more to life than just being stressed and just doing jobs that I didn't, you know, working at a makeup counter, working, I worked in Hollister for a while. Oh, I did that too. (laughs) Did you? (laughs) I was doing jobs that I just didn't care about. I wasn't invested in, you know. And at that time I was early 20s. I was just married and I was like I I want to have children I'm going to focus on having children and building a life outside of that and that's what we then did I was going to say because you've got four kids but I don't understand how because how old is Rio the reason we have four kids is because it was a mistake (laughs) (laughs) that's how and if the kids are listening now you know (laughs) yeah no that will not be a secret from them but it was one of the best mistakes and actually you know I say I say the word mistake I'm I'm religious and you know I know everyone has their own opinions but for me that was divine intervention is one of the best things that has ever happened to me but it certainly was not in my plans as in Rio was it the twins no Rio was Rio Rio was fully planned prepped the whole like stress over the two-week wait and blah 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 Ezra also planned so my anxiety and my OCD was so bad with the first two over what sort of things cleanliness no it was more about keeping them safe so I had lots of intrusive thoughts you know if I don't tap this five times one of them's gonna die if I don't count to 15 and hold my hand in this exact spot in the wall then they're gonna get sick constant 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 multiple times throughout the day The reason my OCD just really erupted in motherhood was because I expected to love my children. Everyone always told me, you're going to love your children like nothing else. But for me, I expected that. But I did not expect nothing 
nothing prepared me for how protective I was going to feel over my children. And I was like, I care about this person more than anyone else on this earth. And I have to keep them safe. And they can't even talk to me. They're crying. Something's wrong. I don't know what's wrong. Like, the pressure that I felt to take care of these kids. And everyone was always like, well, you're the mum, you'll know best, or you'll have an instinct. And I was like, what if I don't have the instinct? What if, like, yeah. you know, <laughs> what if it wasn't watching them and they stopped breathing in bed? And it was just like awful, 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 awful. Yeah. So I got to a stage where I was like, I need to deal with that because it was affecting my entire life, including my parenting. So I went on a big journey in, in terms of recovering from my OCD. Amazing. All. It is honestly amazing. One of, along with my children, just under that would be one of my greatest successes in life is overcoming that. To be honest, I was so drained from the first two, that stress that I experienced. And I was like, I think I'm done. I don't think I want anymore. I think I'm done with two. And my husband was really keen to have three. When it came to three and four, I was much more relaxed. I didn't have all my OCD anxiety stuff. Nothing has felt as challenging to me as those first few parenting years. Yeah. So to me, to be free of that and then ha having the twins, it has been a much more enjoyable, relaxing experience having four That's than it sweet. was. Yeah. I have heard from quite a few people that third, well, usually third baby, but third pregnancy because you've decided to yeah. create two. <laughs> decided to create two. <laughs> usually people say that just by the third, you're a bit like, you know what, like whatever's going to keep them alive, that's what we're going to do. As in like, rather than obsessing over like exactly how you do this or exactly how you do that, it's just like, what is easiest in my life right now? Because yeah. I have yeah. two other creatures to keep alive. It takes that control away because yeah. you've got to go a little bit more with the flow, which actually kind of leads me on to what I wanted to talk about, which is, I guess this OCD thing, but also just specifically the pregnancy. So how were you as a pregnant person? Because I know that some people love pregnancy, some people hate pregnancy, you're obviously a very fit person, but had you trained as a pre and postnatal person before Rio and Ezra, or was this something you did as a result? I decided to train in personal training before. Then I got married and I started thinking about fertility, conception, pregnancy, postpartum. That's when I started to research and learn more, do a few you know, expert speciality courses in pre and postnatal as a population. So you learn generally about it as a personal trainer, but I just wanted to explore it more. And then I kind of learned on the job. I was training women, I was pregnant, I was having babies, I was doing extra courses to specialize in that. So then it all sort of happened as an amalgamation. And after I had Rio that I started to sort of blog about my experience and you know, oh, my cool. expertise. And that's how, mm. how my business kind of evolved. How did that come about? Because also even just putting, I know myself just from the little bits of writing I do, it can feel quite intimidating to put your thoughts out there because you think, oh, people I know are going to read this. And well, do you know what's hilarious is that my first encounter with Instagram so I had no idea what this was I was never good at drawing and then there was a really sad experience in our lives one of our friends took her own life when we were younger and oh God, I found really, it really, really you know really difficult at the time and I having never drawn before I just found myself up in the middle of the night and I was just drawing and sketch and trying to draw pictures of of her and then someone said to me I, I can't remember where but I, someone kept having like filters on their picture and I was like oh that looks great how have you made it black and white and she was like oh I use this platform called Instagram so I put this picture up and I probably posted it about 10 times with different filters and then everyone was like wow that drawing I was like you can see it <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. I was like, so, 
<laughs> so you thought no that idea. you were just like creating a picture for yeah i thought i was just variety. you know having a, a go at like putting on different filters over it and seeing what it looked like so that was my first realization of like oh gosh i can put something out there and people can see it that's weird that was pre-children pre-wedding that was just like my first understanding of social media a few years yeah. later instagram was a bigger thing i was like i can just use this as a platform to speak to people or share my information with friends and i was just thinking locally i'm going to train women locally and i'll put it out there and people can join me and then it just kind of evolved from there and in the blog were you just writing about your experiences as a trainer or was it just here are five things you can do to improve your prenatal fitness or what what were you actually blogging about and do you still blog sometimes i write a lot of articles for other platforms i love writing but it's time consuming Oh my God, so time consuming. <laughs> I, I did a little bit of sharing exercises. Everyone always had questions for me. I remember reading an article which said that there's only 5.5% of fitness industry professionals that are qualified in pre and postnatal. Yeah. And yeah. I was like, that is a huge failing on women because at some point, many women will be either pre or postnatal. And how can only 5% of people out there be giving us information? Because they certainly didn't give me any information when I had my child. Oh my God, nothing. Yeah. So then I just thought, oh, well, if people want that information, I have the information, I'll share it. And I love it. I know there are downsides to social media, but I love the community that I have on Instagram and the community that I've been able to take off Instagram, which I think is even more valuable. Just in terms of face-to-face coaching or... Face-to-face coaching. Yeah, yeah. exactly and people that I meet and interact with when I'm giving a talk or leading yeah. a workshop. Social media is constantly changing. I remember my sister saying to me, don't build a business around one Instagram platform because that's not a business. That's like a nightmare. You need to have an actual business in place that you can sustain, you know, let's say Instagram went down tomorrow. What am I going to do with my work? And which is why I think taking something off social media and building that community, connecting with women and being able to do my work and help women feel empowered, feel physically confident, feel stronger mentally, physically is a real honor. What? I love about it is your videos are so clear your filming is just incredible so I'm always like is that her husband doing that filming <laughs> who is doing this filming I was thinking about this the other day I was watching one and I was like who is her person yeah so some of it I can film myself but again like I had a management company for a very short period of time yeah what was that like to be honest, I think that is exactly what I need because I just need someone who's going to help me organize stuff. I'm like a disorganized, organized person. I sort of know what I'm meant to be doing, but it's all last minute. Like, ah, I need to be there. But so it was great. It was a fantastic partnership for the time that it lasted. What's really difficult is when you have a different vision. They want to build a business. They want to make money. They want to, you know, whereas for me, I wanted to do things differently or, or focus on things differently. So it just naturally sort of came to an end, but they were fantastic. You consciously uncoupled. Yeah, exactly. Although hopefully one day I'll be working with them again because they were great. And they were saying, look, you know, now if you watch the stuff that's really getting a lot of engagement on social media, you've got to be showing different angles. The camera needs to be moving. You need to do this, you need to do that. And I was like, right, Ow. what? <laughs> so, how? <laughs> exactly. So my husband does help me a lot when he can, but it is really difficult. And this is where, like I'm saying, I cannot add the stress to my life of just having a business on social media because he's got a full-time job or we've got four children we cannot also suddenly he has to be the cameraman <laughs> while I'm being the person in front of the camera and then we've got to edit it and do the audio it's just it's so much stuff more than I yeah. could explain to people if you don't do it you cannot understand and it is just 
people are shocked when they realize how much it takes for that little 30 second clip that doesn't get many likes because people are having an off day or the algorithm doesn't like <laughs> you or whatever. And it's hours and hours yeah. of work, every single post, hours of work, bedtimes that I haven't read my yeah. kids' stories because I've been, oh, yeah, it has to be out by eight o'clock and I have to do the hashtags and then I have to put it on the story and then I have to, you know, w- engage with the comments, whatever the thing is. So it's just a lot yeah. of pressure. And it's not direct sales, right? It's just an advert essentially. So you're doing all this effort, but you don't know how much it's translating into an actual sale. I think that's a really hard bit about social media. Yeah, exactly. I think the difference between working with a management company and working on my own, because my focus has never been, I want to make sales, which is a terrible business model (laughs) because that's not a business. I was like, I want to build a community. I really like recognition and connection. I'm not so driven by like money. And if someone writes to me and says, look, I did that video and you made such a difference, or I've done this every week and I've noticed a change. To me, I'm like, that's great. That's all I've ever wanted. You know, whereas other people are like, but you can't afford to eat. (laughs) (laughs) It was not an ideal business model. So I have had to learn in recent years how to actually build the business around my passion and around Mm. my hobby which I don't necessarily find easy because I've never taken a business degree. So it's just me figuring well, it out. Well, I mean, my stepdad is a businessman and he's very much a believer in like, well, you've just got to do it. Just do it. And then you'll figure mm. it out. You know, if you're doing something that doesn't make mm. money, then mm. you won't have enough money to live. So you just have to figure it yeah. out until you, and just freaking Google it. You know, I think that was the lesson yeah. I learned anyway with businesses. Sorry to interrupt. Are you a woman on a career comeback journey? or a business looking to empower your female employees during their returnities? Well, let me introduce you to the Springback Guide, a revolutionary digital coaching product that's changing the game for women and businesses alike. Our Springback Guide is designed to help women go back to work feeling happy and confident. It's like having a personal coach right on your phone, guiding you every step of the way. Plus, now here's the real game changer, it costs just a fraction of the price of conventional coaching. No more time-consuming and expensive coaching sessions. With Springback Guide, we're putting the power in your hands, right where it belongs. We're not just changing the game, we're changing the way women and businesses consider returnity. So, if you're looking to make your career come back with confidence, or if you're a business looking to empower your female workforce and want to find out more, visit us at springbackguide.com or follow us on Instagram at springbackguide and join the revolution today. How was having a twin pregnancy versus singleton pregnancies? Were there many differences between them? Mentally, I felt much stronger in my twin pregnancy, much more in, you know, in control isn't the right word because it's almost the opposite. It's almost the fact that I relinquished that need for control, but I felt much more content Yeah, so did that OCD start then from the pregnancies? Yes, it just escalated hugely. So had this been something that you'd always had in your life? Yes, I developed anxiety and OCD with performing, you know, like, oh, make sure you tap there five times before you go on stage, something small like that. But then it really just like exponentially, yeah. yeah, ramped up in my first pregnancy and lasted all through that pregnancy. And how did that manifest itself? So my OCD always appeared in tapping and counting. I had lots of intrusive thoughts about keeping people safe. I think a lot of it, I felt like I had such an incredible childhood, all of these things, all these positives. And I was terrified in my head. I'm like, 
it has to be yin and yang. When is the yang going to come? Something's going to get me because it, everything's been great. And feeling. now I've, you know, yeah. yeah. And so the whole pregnancy was like, I really want a healthy baby. Please just give me a healthy baby. You know, I had a healthy baby. Then, oh my gosh, please let this baby carry on being healthy. Mm. Please let it grow up. Please keep it safe. Please don't let him be bullied at school. Please it just mm. constantly. And I felt terror that I had of like, what is going to happen? And I was just thinking, this is my, I'm just going to pay for all the good stuff with OCD. If I can just pay for it, then I'll deserve it. Which just was this spiral. And, and now I have a completely different approach, completely different mindset, a completely different just approach to life. But at the time, that was kind of where I was in. It's so interesting me even thinking back there because it's so different to where I am now, but I can suddenly just really remember that. And so that lasted for the first two pregnancies and when they were younger. And then we were meant to get a flight to California and it all kind of culminated in getting this flight to California. And I was absolutely convinced. And you had both the kids. I was pregnant with Ezra at the time. And I was absolutely terrified of this flight. I was like, I cannot get on this plane. And I was working in Brick Lane at the time and I had to walk from Brick Lane to Liverpool Street, which is about seven minutes. And that seven minutes took me three and a half hours because I was stopping, counting, step over that crack, go back, turn around, walk around that building five times, turn around, tap the wall, walk back, walk forward, step back, constant three and a half hours. Yeah, the whole thing, it was just like, and everything, going to bed would take me four hours, two hours downstairs, two hours upstairs. I would start getting ready to go to bed at like eight, nine o'clock and I wouldn't be in my bed until one because of the amount of different things I had to do. It was like a completely unimaginable situation. And I remember walking back from town one day with Rio and he was like, you didn't step over. I I had like a moment of bravery where I was like, I'm not going to walk over that. I'm not going to step back and forth over that drain pipe. Rio said to me, mama, wait, you haven't, you haven't stepped back over that one. And when he said it to me, it was just like, suddenly I realized that I I've been thinking this was keeping my family safe all this time. And all of a sudden I saw how it was really damaging my family. Yeah. And I was like, I had spent my whole life just wanting to protect him. And now I was allowing this to harm him and he's going to grow up thinking that he needs to step back and forth over things. So I was like, okay, I need to change. And still then it wasn't like a miracle. Oh, right now I'm done. You know, it still continued. We had to get this flight to California. And that day I was retching in the car and got to the airport and the doors opened to the check-in desk. And I was like, I cannot cross that floor, let alone actually have to get on the plane. I can't do it. Can't do it. Cannot do it. Cannot do it. So we had to like cancel our holiday, tell our three-year-old, yes, no we're at the airport. Way. Yeah, but we're not going on holiday. We're going no. home. Yeah, back <gasps> in the car, all the way home. What did your that- husband say? At that he was, uh, to be honest, I think he was at that point utterly depleted himself. He had to live with it, you know, every day. Like yeah. I said, I'd get ready to go to bed and he'd walk upstairs to bed or he'd sit down and watch TV and I'd be doing all my OCD in the kitchen, in the living room, up and down, blah, 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 up and down the stairs. And, and then he'd just like, walk upstairs and go to bed and then I'd carry on and then I'd get to bed. You know, so he was living with it and he was like, this just has to, I, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, there's a quote that says something like, the only thing that evil needs to triumph is for good men to do nothing, something mm. like that. And that was just so true. It was like, he couldn't, he didn't know what to do. And he's a good mm. man, but he was like, I, this is not something I know what I can do with. I don't mm. know what to do. And so it just escalated. And so at that point, I remember when we got home, it felt like I'd done such a huge payment. Like, okay, I've ruined our holiday, blah, blah. Now I've paid. And then we went for a walk and I just did the walk. And my husband was like, I don't care if we didn't do that holiday. I just want you to be able to go for a walk with us and it just to be a walk like we just had. And so then I got therapy. I tried lots of different therapists. I did hypnotherapy in the end. And that was hugely life-changing. That's so interesting. It was such an overwhelm. Hypnotherapy slowed the thoughts in my brain. So I began to be able to rationalize thoughts. A thought would come in and I would think, are you anxiety or are you instinct? Do I really need 
to touch this wall five times to keep my children safe or are my children safe and my anxiety is you know and it was a slow process and eventually I just began to be able to dismiss the thoughts and not do the compulsion and then the more I didn't do the compulsions the more that power built in me where I was like oh actually I didn't do it and they were fine and we're fine and we're fine and we're fine and it just continued you know and then a couple of years later we got the flight to California and actually we're going again in a few weeks oh my god what a journey and I really empathize with the situation and especially anything that's mental health related I think for the people who are on the outside it's so difficult because it's so illogical you just Mm. think that that this just doesn't make any sense you don't need to tap the wall you don't need to do this or do you understand that that doesn't make any sense and it doesn't Mm. help it doesn't help no you have to And because it's a mental thing rather than a physical thing, you can't see it. It's not something that you can put a plaster on that and it will go away. It's literally in somebody's brain. And I think we understand so little about that and especially just what to do about it. Because, you know, you go to a GP and I think a lot of them would be a bit like, um... (laughs) Yes, exactly. What what I don't really know what to suggest. Like, exactly. So hard. Very hard. Exactly that. It felt so instinctive. I was like, well, you know, if I feel like I need to do it, I have to do it. And it wasn't rational. I was just doing it. But what was a huge turning point was when a therapist explained to me that this ability to worry, worry is a human instinct that has actually kept humans alive in the food chain for a long period of time. Like we can go to a dark alley, look down it and think that doesn't feel right. It's dark. There's strangers at the bottom. I'm going to walk the long way around. And and it literally keeps us safe you know even from a very animalistic opinion it it really keeps us safe but now that we have developed like a new part of the brain where we have a whole host of new emotions and like a smell can trigger something to make us feel mm-hmm. worried when it isn't even there you know you can watch a film and something will happen and you can think, oh my gosh i'm really worried even if something's not really there the threat isn't there but your body has that same fight or flight response and so he was explaining to me like people that have high anxiety or have ocd it is actually a natural human instinct they're not broken there's nothing wrong they actually have this really strong, powerful human instinct. Their body and their brain has not learned to manage what is triggering this fight or flight. Is it actually a threat or is it actually a feeling or a thought or a memory or a smell? And when he said that to me, I was like, okay, like it made me not feel weak anymore. I just felt like I need to now learn how I need to learn what is going on and learn how to manage it. And that really helped me. Mm. because I suddenly realized that okay I am still this strong instinctive animal that I always felt I was but there's a new part of the brain that I need to get to grips with and I need to understand and and just that recognition in that way that change in perspective helped me and recognition is the word right because I think that's the thing with mental health which is that I know somebody who's really suffering with a mental health issue at the moment and you have to recognize in yourself that it's a problem in the first place because I think often when we're battling with mental health you just think well I can live with it for now it's fine for now I don't need to fix it for now and everyone else might be um (laughs) I think you do but you have to get there by yourself and it's that I need to like okay the therapist has you know given me this massive like epiphany but now okay it's for me it's for me to do something and I think Rio saying that to you on the pavement that like almost made me well up because our children just have the most amazing ability to kind of point these things out in us yeah and I just think it's incredible that you took that responsibility just to be like right I have to fix this and to then get to your third pregnancy and not have that I mean what an achievement that really is amazing it really was is and 
people always ask me like how do you manage for and I'm like it is fine because it, I don't have that. Like what I experienced in the first two was so overwhelmingly difficult. Yeah. Yeah. It was much easier after that. Since you kind of sorted it, has it ever threatened to come back in? Do you notice that you ever get particularly like high anxiety over certain things or not? Or is that literally something that you in the past now? No, I think with mental health, it is a constant work in progress. Yeah, for sure. Firstly, anxiety, like I have, you know, comes up and down all the time, but my OCD, I don't have 99.9% of the time. Something, what did I do? The other, I can't remember what it was, what I did the other day. It was something really stupid. Like I poured milk into my bowl and then I stopped halfway through and then I pulled the second. And I don't know what, it, it was something really simple like that. I can't remember if it was that or if it was cereal, but whatever I was doing, I did it. And then I felt the need to stop and then do it a second time. And I did it. And it was such an instant thing that my body did. And then I remember my brain thinking, right now, do it a third time. So you haven't done it the twice. And I was like, no, do you know what? I'm actually just going to leave it. I don't know what that was. I don't know why I... Yeah, because I was just... It happened so quickly and I wanted to undo it by doing it a third time. But then you're like, wait, but then was the third time the things? And I I was like, I'm just going to stop. I did that, whatever that was. Don't even know why, but I'm literally just going to cut it off. I'm not going to read into it. I'm just going to stop. You know, also we're getting this next flight to California, as I said, and if few weeks and that is always a big thing for me because that was one of that the huge the moments yeah. yeah so I said to my husband the other day what is so nice is that I actually feel excited about Aww. this trip before when we finally got the flight you know after having cancelled it when we did get it that year later I went and I did it but I was terrified absolutely terrified whereas I actually feel really positive and really excited about the trip which is really refreshing Mm. And I'm going with all four of my children, you know, so potentially it could be even more terrifying, but I really feel in a much better place. You know, I, so as I said, I'm, I'm religious and to me, that's a huge part of it. And I just feel really supported in, you know, in multiple ways. Mm. And California as well, your kids will absolutely love it. I mean, like yeah. if there's anywhere in the world that's designed for kids, it's the USA. <laughs> it's, <laughs> like, it's the USA, no. <laughs> Like let's put all the colouring and the sugar and the salt. Yeah, no, it. exactly, <laughs> exactly. It's just love it. Like I just, oh. Anyway, okay, cool. So we keep segueing from pregnancy, but I'm going to go to it. So how were your births then? And were they different from one another? Yes, they were all very different. Rio and Ezra were both vaginal births and then the twins were a cesarean. Was that planned? That was a planned cesarean. Yeah, Aria was like wedged into the pelvis, like in a V-shape. So she was bum breech and he was like horizontal. So it was it was all going on in there. So they Ooh, were just like, gosh, we just cesarean yeah. it. And then, yeah. and then I also began to develop like preeclamptic-like symptoms. The other two, as I said, were vaginal births, but all of my births were really positive. All of them absolutely brilliant. Obviously not always comfortable, but brilliant. I was laughing my head off because when I did NCT in the first one, they had this one session where they had all these words like cut out in little pieces of white card laminated. And they were like, right now, make over here what you want for a birth and here what you don't want. And everyone chose words like comfortable, home, lighting, love, tactile, Nap. naturally partner. I was like, <laughs> drugs, machines, bright lights, doctors. <laughs> Medical intervention. Yeah, I was literally like, oh, I so want funny. to be in a hospital with as many drugs as I can, with the brightest lights, the newest machines, and as many doctors as possible. I do not want anything funny, else. Isn't it? 
And so I did have an epidural with both of my first two and then a spinal, obviously, with the twins. But all really positive, really positive experiences. My sister, who has not yet had children, she was there at my first two deliveries. And she must just think that labor is just brilliant because every time she's walked in. (laughs) Yeah, she's walked in after the epidural every time. Yes, yeah. And so like she's just come in and been like, I've got electric candles and a blanket. And I'm like, oh, okay. (laughs) It's like she missed the like, get this out of me. (laughs) (laughs) I think there is quite a contrast, yeah, between epidural and epidural no it's amazing exactly. is it but also it's so wonderful and I, I love sharing these stories about people that have got multiple kids and had multiple different births because it just goes to show I think there's such a preconceived idea of what positive birth is and mm. I try to tell friends of mine who are pregnant it's like do you know what like you'll know it when you see it you personally mm. you will know what is positive for me might not necessarily be positive for you and I yeah. just think it's a bit limiting it's just a bit short-sighted just to be like if it's natural if you don't have any drugs if you have this Mm. then it's really positive because the language is so powerful and it can make you feel like if you've had intervention or whatever that then it's negative yeah I did not feel that way but that's brilliant (laughs) and I'm so glad that you felt like that I mean because so many women don't the recovery from that I have to say like that was the biggest challenge when I look at my birth stories Mm. Think the recovery from a cesarean again I did not expect it and I have trained women who have had a cesarean mm. and I had trained them previously but that was a, a different level and I, I, it was also during the whole COVID time okay. so it was very different in the hospital but that recovery was unlike anything I've ever experienced and I've never felt yeah. so alien in my own skin it is that was mm. really tough. And I guess if you've had two vaginal births before, I just think the contrast, and also if they're relatively, I mean, for just correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like they were relatively drama free. Like if, you know, obviously epidural helped, so they sound really positive experiences. And then the C-section, I think that the pain can really take people by surprise if they've had a relatively uncomplicated vaginal birth before. With the first two, so Rio was, uh, obviously I went to labour naturally, so still laboured for some time before the epidural. With Ezra, the epidural didn't work. And so I really (laughs) felt that one. And he was back to back. And so it was, that was not pleasant. And then they topped up the epidural with, I don't know what, whether it was the stuff that they give to a spine, I don't know. But whatever he then put in made me completely numb. So with the crowning, I didn't feel it, but the actual epidural did not initially take with Ezra. But the cesarean it wasn't necessarily the pain there was still lots of discomfort in terms of if I hadn't there was a time for example where they kept giving me morphine in the hospital and I said to one of the nurses I was like do I need to take that she came in with another shot of morphine I was like do I need to take that because I was in and out of consciousness and I was on my own because it was COVID so you weren't allowed visitors and I had the twins and I was like in hospital bed asleep on and off for hours because I couldn't stay awake with the morphine so I said to her do I need to take it and then she left and then they didn't come back for hours so then I experienced quite a bit of pain because Mm. they didn't come back Mm. and then they gave me something else I can't remember what they gave me they gave me some other pain I think it was just ibuprofen in fact and that that again made a huge difference so it was Mm. fine then but it wasn't so much the pain with the cesarean as it was I remember trying to put on my underwear in the middle of the night and I couldn't lift my your leg yeah leg yeah I couldn't lift my leg and I couldn't sit down properly either Mm. so I just stood there and cried because I was like I don't I don't know what (laughs) I meant to do classic postnatal scenario (laughs) (laughs) I can't put on my pads 
Exactly. Yeah. So that was difficult. I had a couple of horrible comments from the midwives at that time. I think they're under extreme stress, but they they then came and apologized. I was, I'd rung the buzzer because I had twins. It was the middle of the night. And so I think this was the first night and I had one of the twins. I'd got up and I'd got one of the twins to breastfeed. And then the other one started crying. So I rang the buzzer to say, can you pass me the other baby? And she came in, she said, are you even trying? And I was like, <laughs> and I can't put my pants on. It's all going wrong. But it's fine. She came and apologized afterwards. So she was, it was all fine. You know, I think they were under extreme stress. Like I said, you just, yeah. it, it was just a crazy situation that time. But so that recovery, you know, everything was just so different. I remember going for a run. The midwife said, go for a run, even though I knew this is not the time to go for a run. It was, I was only like five or six weeks post cesarean. Ooh. And it was, I ran for about 30 seconds and it was the most flat footed, like, uncomfortable everything just was right I just could my body felt like it wasn't me I couldn't even stand up properly you know without it feeling really weird so I had to learn how to how do you stand now that you've got this cesarean incision and everything's mm. inflamed for a while because literally inflammation is yeah significant yeah your body's been left alone for your whole life and then suddenly yeah. zoop, it's all open to the elements it's really strange isn't it and again I think it goes back as well in part to mind body connection because I had two C-sections but the first was an emergency and the second wasn't and I didn't work out at all all the way through my first pregnancy and I trained all the way through my second and I think I put on probably about the same amount of weight with both but I wasn't really bothered about that it was mostly just like I wanted to be strong for Mm. my second and it's just the contrast between them and I know that obviously the first was emergency the second one wasn't you know I trained in one I hadn't in the other but it was just so weird the differences between my recoveries because the first one I was still walking very slowly two weeks later it really took me like a month to cover at all Mm. but I was very stressed my child was in intensive care still a month after I'd given birth so I think maybe the stress came into it but then the second it was literally fine it's so weird wow that's amazing isn't it yeah but why I just I still don't get it I mean stress is is huge as you said yeah and also it is a shock for the body it's never been opened that way you know before (laughs) so it's you might as well you know as far as your body's aware you could have been mauled by a lion it just doesn't you know it doesn't know it's just been it's it's a lot it's a lot it's a lot it's definitely like well you must see such a variety with what you do now so where did strong like mum come into fruition where did this all happen in this journey of having casually four kids (laughs) (laughs) at that time eight years ago everybody just wanted to tell me all the things I couldn't do it's even in the eight years now since then it's changed but then everyone wanted to tell me all the things you couldn't do you'll never sleep again you'll never wear a bikini you'll never run as fast you'll never have abs again you'll never you know have time for yourself you'll never sleep all of this kind of stuff and I have found motherhood the the most liberating experience you almost go on this journey of self-discovery you learn new depths of resilience you access depths of emotions like love for example I thought I knew what love was and I love my parents and I love my husband but that is just it's totally different ball game Mm. and you learn so much even this thing of like of loving your children but realizing that you cannot have complete control over your children's life they are their own person and like they will grow up to do their own thing and have their own children you know they, they are not just there for you to manage exactly how they do things because you think you know what's best. And like having children, they see the world in such an amazing way. I remember walking with Rio to to our our local train station. It has a tunnel underneath the tracks and the stairs are that like horrible, cheap, 
black material that's it sort of sparkles because it's got that little oh, yeah. <laughs> grip whatever it is yeah, like it yeah. is like grippy awful. steps yeah, yeah yeah exactly those grippy steps and Rio was like oh look it's like the universe and the stars and I was like oh that's amazing because I walked down there and I'm like, what is this piece of shit stairs? Like, <laughs> walking down this really horrible tunnel. And he was like, wow. And and all of a sudden I was like, oh, oh my goodness. gosh, yeah, you could see that and think it looks like the universe. And, you know, you just, it, I just think it has been the most liberating experience. I know my children are so unique and I, I think, and different. <laughs> and, you know, they're at that age now, especially Rio, he's eight, where at eight. school, it's like, these are the things the cool kids do. And these are the things that they don't do. And he's feeling the pressure to be cool. And I really want him to just be himself. And then that really makes you realize, actually, I need to just be myself. He doesn't, I always tell him, you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to do that. You just be, just be you. Cause it is the most wonderful, amazing thing to see someone being totally themselves. And then I think, well, I have to show them that just to be mm. totally who I am, you know? So I think motherhood can be incredibly empowering. Also from a physical perspective, yes. it gives you postnatally was one of the, it, it can often be some of the first times that women that I work with really look at their foundations. What is my pelvic floor doing? What is my posture? And once you can nail like posture, breathing and your deep core, suddenly you can run faster, run further, lift heavier, you know, all this kind of stuff, be more flexible stuff, whatever your fitness goals are, you want to run a marathon. I would be like postpartum is the time where you're going to be able to do it because you're going to really work on putting in place those foundations Mm. that's going to unlock the power for all of that. I think you're so right. And also it just gives you an endurance, you know what Mm. I mean? Where you're just like, if I get through two and a half years of no sleep, thanks to my eldest, like I can, I can get through anything. If you could do anything sleep deprived and then I don't know. And then it just blows my mind why new mums, et cetera, face discrimination in the workplace, because it's just like, do you know what? Anyone is going to smash that job. It's going to be her. You know what I mean? I always think if I was to employ people, if I get to a point where I'm going to employ lots of people, I would hire like parents and those who have overcome a mental illness because both of those things have taken so much strength, determination, focus. And I just think I know now as a mum, my work rate is on point. I can do now in 10 minutes what would have taken me a day because I only have 10 minutes to do (laughs) it. Only half 10 minutes. Yeah. What is it? Necessity is the mother of all invention. Yes. Like, yes. Like, it's just so, it's so true. So we're running out of time. I could literally talk to you forever. But <laughs> I guess, I think I know the answer to this, but what does work and specifically your work mean to you? Oh gosh, what a question. Oh, no, These sorry. big <laughs> questions that people ask on podcasts are like, what would your three words be? And I was like, oh, what? God. I, I don't know. What to the oh, whole of like mother kind? I don't know. Do you know what? I love my work. Not only does it allow me to feel like this connection with a global community, because social media is so global, which is just so amazing. And to feel like this real community of women that I feel very lucky and blessed to to be a part of and to have created, which is amazing. But also my work to me is like an example for my children that, you, you know, I work really hard and I'm not saying that in a way to say that other people don't. Lots of people work hard and you don't have to be a working mom to work hard because parenting, you know, and whatever your dynamic is. And there's certain things that enable me to work. Like, you know, my mum will come and help and my husband will help when he can. And you know, there's lots of things that enable me to do what I do so I'm not trying to suggest that what 
I do is any more mm. impressive than anyone else's. However, I work really hard and I people often think things have been easy because my dad was an Olympic athlete and there have certainly been doors that have opened but there have been doors that I have literally like kicked and clawed and tried a million keys to try to get to open and eventually got a toe across and I have worked really hard and I hope that my children will see that working hard at something can bring you so much joy and can really be worth it because there are times when I don't put them to bed because I'm running out of the door to get the train to London to do whatever or I say to them I'm sorry I can't right now because I have to finish this email or whatever it is there are times when my work affects my family life and I know that there will be many connotations to that but I hope that they would just see do you know what my mum always worked really hard my mum was up working at 10 o'clock at night you know my mum was whatever just I want them to know that working hard can be so worth it so hopefully they feel that nothing has to define you parenthood doesn't have to define you your physical you know ability doesn't have to define you the fact that you can actually create what you want and I just hope that they take that away from that oh so many good things okay (laughs) so I love that so it's connection it's about community it's working hard will reap rewards yes I totally agree I would love to instill that in my boys and seeing that work can be worth it but also that nothing has to define you I really like that I think so often we just think and particularly our generation I think hopefully less so our kids generation but you know you follow you do all the things and you climb up the ladder and you go in a straight line and whatever and is it Sheryl Sandberg it's like your career is a jungle gym it's not a ladder yeah. you know sometimes yeah, 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 yeah. one tiny thing is going to take you forever and then you end up getting to the bottom of the slide and you have to start all over again yep. that's just how it is but just yep. keep at it and something will happen and it just comes across so much and like everything you do oh thank you no and you're absolutely right the biggest thing just to go right back to where we started we could have we could have saved us everyone this hour (laughs) and just gone just kept it right back to that first sentence but you know following following your instinct if you loving what you do is so important because it is ups and downs like you know I did a post yesterday on Instagram that I work my backside I've had to rent the studio space film it choose the clothes buy the clothes choose the clothes film the content write the script do the audio absolutely tanked and like it can be really heartbreaking to be like it tanked yeah be so heartbreaking to be like oh no one likes me no one likes my content but actually I love doing it so it's not a chore for me to get up and film my content write it put it out there but it's not a chore for me to go I always say like if someone would have me go and do a workshop or do you know a tv segment or whatever about women's health I will pay you for me to do it I love it so much like I love it I absolutely love it and so it doesn't feel like a chore and work takes up I don't know what the statistic is but a huge portion of our life so we might as well enjoy it we might as well enjoy it like we have one life one life and we can spend that on the rat wheel something we don't want to do being miserable because we feel like society says you have to do this job and have a nine to five and go or you can actually live life actually live your life how you want to live it so doing something you love yeah so important life is not the dress rehearsals why i always no. tell people it's the real thing you only get one shot so you might as well just do something that you don't hate <laughs> exactly do so you don't hate do so you don't hate <laughs> well on that amazing note i'm gonna say <laughs> goodbye but thank you so so much for thank giving you up for your having time me. and your energy and i've got so much from this so thank you so so much thank you you made it thank you for tuning into this episode of Returnity 
We hope you found the discussion inspiring and informative. Returnity is about celebrating and supporting women on their back to work journeys. And speaking of support, don't forget about the Springback Guide. It's the innovative and cost effective solution for women and businesses alike. Empower yourself or your female workforce with confidence and success on the road to Returnity. To learn more about the Springback Guide and how it's changing the way we approach women's return to work, visit springbackguide.com. See you next week.